Hi, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Crime Family. This week, we'll be discussing the strange and mysterious murders of Barry and Honey Sherman, a case that is still unsolved to this day. Barry and Honey were one of Canada's wealthiest couples, and when they were found murdered in their home in December 2017, countless theories emerged, as well as a list of potential suspects and a family history that goes back generations. So with all that being said, let's get started. All right. So like I said, uh, we're going to be talking about the Barry and Honey Sherman case in this episode. But first, I just want to say we're very excited because we just surpassed the 1000 downloads milestone for the podcast. After six weeks and nine episodes, we've reached that milestone. So we're very excited. Thank you to everyone who's been listening so far, everyone who will listen in the future. We hope you'll continue to tune in every week. Uh, We have some good cases coming up for you, including the one that we're going to be talking about today. So Yeah, thank you so much. I just wanted to say that before we got started. Like I said in the intro, this is the case of Barry and Honey Sherman, and it happened in Toronto, Canada back in 2017. And like I said in the intro, it is still an unsolved case, so there's lots of theories going around, and there's no real conclusion as of yet. Uh, Do you guys know anything about this case at all? Yeah, I heard a little bit about it um, when it first happened, but I don't really know the outcome and haven't heard anything out else since then so really interesting to listen and see what it's about yeah i remember listening to a couple of podcast episodes about it but i haven't gone much further than that yeah so it was actually a pretty high profile case at the time um that it you know was first revealed back in 2017 when the murders first happened uh because Barry and honey sherman you know they're a very wealthy couple one of canada's wealthiest couples so they're very influential and obviously it was like front page news for many weeks and months directly after but um because there hasn't been a ton of progress like in the last year or so it's kind of waned waned off a little bit like the interest in the case or at least the you know the front page news about it so we're just going to be taking you back to where it all began which was on december 15th of 2017 and it was around 11 a.m when elise stern she was a realtor who was working for the couple uh barry and honey were in the process of selling their home it was on the market for about 6.7 million dollars their plan was to you know sell that home and then build a home in the forest hill neighborhood closer to the downtown core so uh elise stern was their realtor and she was you know frequently in the house taking potential buyers through the whole house and on this particular day uh, she was giving a tour to this one couple and the tour began on you know the upper floor of the house and they you know went through all the floors and eventually worked their way into the basement and once they first uh, entered the basement uh, it was like there's like a little hallway that's right like at the bottom of the stairs um, there's a hallway that kind of leads down to the rest of the basement and Elise noticed that there was a pile of papers and a pair of leather gloves that were just on the ground. And this was directly inside of a doorway that led in from an outside or underground garage. She didn't really think anything of it at the time. She just picked these items up and placed them on a small ledge that was in the hallway there. And they continued on their way. And as she was going down the hallway as well, they were peering into one of this other room that was there. And they noticed that there was a window that was slightly ajar. It was open about six inches. And because the house was recently for sale, the couple had actually had that room recently painted. And there was some water damage apparently in that room. So they had painted it to cover up the water damage. And so they had opened up that window to allow it to air out. So obviously this was like a seemingly innocuous detail. She didn't really think anything of it, but they continued on their way. And then the last stop of the tour was actually the pool room and when she opened up the door to the pool room this is when she saw a grisly scene and she found the bodies of barry and honey sherman now they were on the far end of the 
of the pool room um, from where the door was. So at first, she didn't really know what she was seeing. Their backs were to her. They were facing away from the water and they were just in a semi-seated position. So she didn't really like grasp what the full, obviously the full you know, scope of what was happening. So she just saw them there and she immediately kind of rushed the couple out of the house, finished the tour. And her first call was actually to Honey's sister, Mary, who advised Elise that she should call the police and the police were eventually called at around 11.45 a.m. I mean, I don't really know why she didn't call the police immediately, but maybe because she knew that, you know, the, the couple was pretty high profile and she didn't want, like, the couple's kids or anything to find out on the news or something that the police were at the house or anything like that. So maybe she was just calling to get some context or just seeing what she should do. But anyway, she was advised to call the police and she eventually did. So when the police arrived on the scene, the immediate crime scene, they noticed that the bodies were in a semi-seated position. So Barry was sitting down with his legs outstretched and his legs were crossed at the ankle. Honey was a little bit more to one side. They did notice that Honey had some visible bruising on her face. They both had coats on that were pulled down to just, you know, below their shoulder. And this you know, allowed their arms to just be down at their sides. And uh, they were tied to a metal railing that was at surrounding that part of the pool. And they were tied to the railing with belts. And they both had uh, purple faces, is what the police noted, which suggested that they had been dead for a little bit of time before they were found. Likely 36 hours was their immediate estimate. And there was some evidence to show from the autopsy and stuff that their hands were possibly bound at some point. There was some like uh, ligature marks or some, you know, torn flesh around their wrists. So obviously like that's something that would be consistent with, you know, your hands being tied together, but there was no string or anything found at the scene that would have been used to tie their hands together. So they can't really confirm that, but that's what the medical examiner observed when the autopsy was happening. And their cause of death was determined as a ligature neck compression, which is like a type of strangulation. And they said it's most likely would have been from the belts that they were used, that were tied, that tied them to the railing were most likely the belts that were used to do the actual strangulation. The police were noticing a few strange things about the site. At first, it was a very clean scene. There was no blood. There was you no know, nothing that seemed to be amiss in the entire house. Nothing that suggested a struggle of any sort. There was no sign of forced entry. The only thing was the door. The window was slightly open, so if someone had come in through the window, obviously there'd be no forced entry. And there was no sign of a struggle at all. The only thing that seemed to be amiss in the entire house was the location of Honey's iPhone. So her iPhone was actually found upside down on the vanity in a powder room that was near the front of the house and friends and family say that she rarely used this powder room so it was speculated that she had been there at some time maybe right before she had been killed she may have gone in there um, to try to call for help at some point which is why her iphone was there but it was left on the vanity inside that room and also when they were doing an initial tour of the house or of the immediate crime scene they noticed something very very creepy in the basement there was these two life-size statues that were, had reportedly been given to the shermans as a gift in the 80s and it was a male and a female statue and the way that they were positioned was very similar to the position of the bodies the male statue was seated he had his you know right leg crossed over his left leg which was the way that barry was found it was very very eerie um you know that obviously caught their attention right away like was this some sort of sick twisted like staging of the bodies to match this position of the statues it kind of seemed that way at first but the police didn't really know what to make of it but we'll put the pictures on our instagram uh, so you can actually see the picture of the statues because it is very very creepy for a couple that were very very wealthy well off they didn't really have a lot of security measures on their property like they didn't have like on-site security guards they didn't have any surveillance videos from on their property uh, there was reportedly a couple of security cameras in the pool room itself but they were not connected and they were not working at the time of the murder so you know they wouldn't have been useful for anything and so it seemed like it would be very easy kind of to just walk onto the property and to enter the home friends and family say that they were the type of people that would you know if there was a knock at the door they would open they would answer the door and like let people into their home they were kind of hospitable in that way so it is possible that someone could have just you know been let into the home by Barry or Honey themselves. And so when the police were in the first couple of days after 
this after the the bodies were found uh the because there was no sign of forced entry the police started to suspect that it could have been a murder suicide so they started to look actually for a suicide note that was somewhere in the house to kind of back up this theory of murder suicide um the couple had four kids who never for one second believed that barry would kill honey or himself they said that there's no way it was a murder suicide so they were really adamant and they that they wanted the toronto police to do a full investigation you know and actually get to the bottom of what happened and not just you know we have tunnel vision because we all know that when the police have a theory they might just kind of focus on leads that go with that theory they don't want to they're not going to go down any leads that maybe go away from that theory so the family was just very vocal that the fact that they wanted the police to do a fair investigation and not just focus on this murder suicide theory that didn't really have anything to back it up but because there was no sign of forced entry that's what made the police think that i don't really have a ton of information other than that like what would have made the police think that it was a murder suicide other than the no forced entry but that can be you know explained away by the family saying that there was just the type of people that would let people into their home and stuff so it doesn't seem like there's really enough evidence to kind of go on a murder suicide theory especially the positioning of the bodies it seems very staged very deliberate it's not really the position that you would expect a body to be in if someone just strangled themselves in that position what do you guys think yeah it does seem unlikely to me that it would be a murder suicide and also, I remember like listening to other episodes about this, about their hyoid bone that was not broken. Like, usually, that's like the little bone in your neck that when you get strangled, it usually snaps because of the pressure. But when someone commits suicide by hanging, it usually doesn't break. So maybe that's kind of where their head was going because they saw that. And so when it did if your hyoid bone doesn't break, then you'd probably think there wasn't like this huge like struggle. It wasn't super, um, you know, like a massive like back and forth, like people working hard to like strangle you. It was more like of a gentle, like just doing it yourself kind of thing. So maybe that's kind of where they got that from. That was part of it. But to me, like just the whole situation does not scream suicide at all. Yeah, I me mean, neither. So it seems very weird that there's like barely anything to go with that theory of murder suicide, but they seem to be really be focusing on that at first. So, like I said, I don't really know the extent of what evidence they had to suggest that, but they didn't find a suicide note. They didn't really find anything concrete to really back this theory up. But nonetheless, it was kind of the working theory at the time. And in the first few days of, of the investigation, the because there was no security cameras or anything of the actual home, the police started to go to neighboring homes in the community and see if anyone else had like, you know, a security camera that might have caught some activity at the house and there was some security footage that was turned over um, from a neighbor who she didn't release her name or anything she wanted to remain anonymous but she turned over some footage and it actually showed something quite interesting so the video shows a car in the driveway on december 14th so this would have been a day before the bodies were found and there's a person inside the car who's sitting in the car for up to 15 minutes at a time and is going in and out of the house several times so this was very odd and obviously it wasn't like a super clear image so you couldn't really make out like what the person really looked like or like the make of the car or like a license plate number or anything but for a car to just be sitting there for 15 minutes in the driveway with someone going in and out it's seemed very peculiar and obviously the police thought that as well because when they did get this footage it was kind of you know something that they wanted to look into at the very least so that was interesting so a couple of days after the bodies were found, there was a funeral that was held and there was about 6,000 people that actually attended their funeral. So they were, you know, members of high society. They were very well known, um, very well respected. And so, you know, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was at their funeral as well as Toronto Mayor John Tory. So, you know, when you have 6,000 people coming to your funeral, obviously you are very well connected and very well known in in Toronto, in Canada as a whole. It was actually wasn't until six weeks after the murder, around the end of January of 2018, this is when the police did their first press conference with a first official update of the case. And this was actually after the family of Barry and Honey Sherman actually hired some private investigators who were doing a parallel investigation. Because like I said, they were very adamant. They wanted it to be a complete investigation. They didn't want the Toronto police to botch any important details or anything like that. So they had this kind of parallel investigation with the private investigators that was happening at the same time and I a lot of people speculated that this was why they ended up 
coming out with this update, which was that it was a targeted double murder. So this was the first time that the Toronto police actually ever said that it was a targeted double murder. And like I said, many people speculated it was because they were afraid that like the PIs were going to discover something and they didn't, they didn't really want to be undermined by whatever the PI investigation was uncovering. So as of January 2018, that was the official theory they were going with was the targeted double murder, which it does seem much more likely just based on the positioning of the bodies and the fact that I don't know if it is very similar to those statues and the positioning of those statues. Like to me, that's something very planned, very deliberate and um, not like, I don't think it's just a coincidence that his body, if he was committing suicide, just happened to end up in the same position as the statue in the basement. So yeah, very odd. So that was the initial crime scene and the initial first month or so of the investigation. But I wanted to go into a little bit of, backstory of Barry himself just to kind of give you an idea of his business practices and a little bit of family history. So Barry was very very smart. He you know was a student at U of T and then he eventually went on to study at MIT in Boston. He got a PhD in engineering and when he was a student of U of T he actually worked at Empire Labs which was um, a pharmaceutical company that was owned by his uncle Lou Winter and so while he was a student he kind of worked there a lot and kind of worked his way up into in the company and after he graduated from MIT with a PhD he ended up going back to Toronto and continued to work for Empire Labs and then shortly after that Lou Winter died suddenly and his wife actually died he and his wife died a week apart from each other which was pretty sad and they at the time they had four young children they had four boys and so now these boys were essentially orphans and it was very sad because it was very unexpected and for you know both of your parents to die within a week of each other it was unforeseen so when lou winter died barry had worked his way up into the empire labs quite high at that point and he ended up taking over empire labs and when lou died there was sort of an agreement that was in writing that um Barry would have to allow Lou Winter's four sons to work for Empire Labs when they turned 21. They would also get, you know, a portion of the royalties from some of the products that Empire Labs sold. And they would get like a stake in the company and they would get all of this money in the estate. Uh, so they did have a big interest in this company and they were going to be getting a significant portion of it just as part of the agreement. However, Barry ended up selling Empire Labs, you know, a few years after Lou had died and when he sold it he actually ended up basically voided the agreement that he had made that was going to give you know his four cousins all of this fortune and he knew at the time that by selling it he was going to avoid this agreement but he did it anyway and so it effectively robbed these four boys of a huge amount of money and stake in their father's company and he used some of the money that he got from selling empire labs to start apotex and now apotex is what he eventually became most known for it was one of ended up being one of canada's biggest pharmaceutical companies uh, probably around the world as well but it was a generic drug company so a generic drug company like they take you know they basically make knockoff versions of like the name brand products so like tylenol advil instead of buying those if you're buying like acetaminophen but you're buying you know not the tylenol or the advil brand it's probably an apotex product is a generic generic uh version of that so as you can imagine um it was pretty much an upset in the pharmaceutical community because all of a sudden this little guy comes in and he starts apotex and he starts basically knocking off their products for and selling it for half the price so like half their profit is just getting you know, taken away from them. And so this upset a ton of people in the pharmaceutical industry, as you can imagine. Um, I feel like people in the pharmaceutical industry are competitive and cutthroat, so they're not really going to take kindly to some newbie coming in there and like stealing half their profit away from them. And so, yeah, for, for years, Barry had kind of worked his way up to amassing all of this wealth. And like I said, Apotex ended up being one of Canada's biggest generic drug companies worth billions and billions of dollars so barry was also known uh for being very litigious he would go to you know he would sue lots and lots of people he had lots of lawsuits over the years he was kind of what he was known for one of the things was like finding loopholes and like contracts and he would take people to court and sue them for millions and make them spend all this money on on the court process and it seemed like he kind of got a thrill out of doing this he really enjoyed you know, taking down the other companies with these lawsuits. But it wasn't just these other pharmaceutical 
companies that he was doing this with. It was also some of his own family members. It was reported that his own son ended up having to owe him tons of money back. I think it was like in the millions of dollars because um, the judge had ruled that his son had owed him this money. And then also he had a legal battle with the four winter cousins um, because eventually they found out that Barry had robbed them of this fortune that they were supposed to be entitled to. So they ended up taking him to court to get their due. And their argument was that they were, you know, obviously they were supposed to get a portion of the Empire Labs fortune, but then their argument was that if it wasn't for Empire Labs, then Apotex wouldn't exist. So they believed that they should get a portion of Apotex's fortune as well, because without Empire Labs, it, there would be no Apotex. So this was an ongoing legal battle that was happening in the years before the murders. And actually the timing wasn't great, but it was like very shortly before the murders, a judge had actually dismissed this case and said that there was no legal grounds for four brothers be suing Barry. So the case was dropped and obviously they were devastated because they thought they were going to get this huge payout and they were going to get all this money that they were supposed to be getting. And obviously it doesn't look good on paper when you look at right before that, they lose this huge legal battle and then Barry and his wife end up dead. So that didn't really look good right out the gate. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts about like Barry's like the family history or any of his like business dealings or anything? It's, I feel like it's like, I, I wouldn't say sketchy. Like he's a man with all this money and like, he thinks he can do no wrong. And he thinks he can like get away with everything and like just pay people off or for diff different things. Like the fact that he gets off taking people to court because he knows he can win and he, and he has the money to it. Just, I don't know. I just, I just don't like people like that. Like taking advantage of other people that who are in your family too. Like it just, I don't know. It's just not a, way that business should be done yeah and it definitely seems like it's almost like an ego thing with him right it's like i'm super smart and i can get away with this so i'm going to and just i don't know it almost seems like a, a pastime or like a hobby for him like i remember also listening to one of the podcasts where it was like they built like their house which was like millions of dollars and then they sued the contractors for like almost all of that money so they didn't even have to pay for this house and their contractors ended up losing all this money it's like, well, maybe the contractors did something like shitty and sketchy they shouldn't have. But it's just like, you know, like, why, why do that kind of thing? Like, so I can definitely see why, like, lots of people would be pissed off at him for stuff like that. Yeah. And it, like I said, it did seem like he got a thrill out of doing this. Like, he loved taking people to court and, you know, showing them not to mess with him and, he would i mean he won a lot of his court battles too i mean there was a few he probably lost but there was like hundreds of court battles over the years that he had went through um that seemed like to be his almost his second full-time job was just going to court um and like i said he could always have like find his way out of loopholes around contracts and stuff like that so it was very interesting but um there's actually a fifth estate episode on this case that came out a few months after the murder so they interview carrie winter and he is a very interesting person in all of this so um he was one of the you know four brothers that were supposed to be getting all of this money from empire labs and he talks a lot about his relationship with barry and honey as well and uh, they go into a little bit about carrie's history like he had like a pretty hard past he had a pretty hard drug addiction at one point and he was homeless on the streets uh, at one point and Barry had actually helped him out. So he had given him some money and he had funded Carrie's education. He financed a home renovation business for Carrie and had bought him all this stuff to kind of get him up on his feet. And I don't know if this was sort of Barry's way in his own mind to like make amends for screwing <laughs> Carrie and his brothers out of all of this fortune. But um, I believe the fifth estate episode, they do state that it was about eight million dollars um that he ended up giving to carry between like you know funding his education financing this business all that stuff it was about eight million dollars and they do talk a little bit about honey being she was kind of hesitant about barry giving all this money to carry she didn't know if he was doing it for the right reasons um and she said and they say that as much as barry was like this very like you know tough like taking people to court and like doing all this stuff to make a profit he was also very generous in other ways with his money like he's giving this cousin millions of dollars over the years but i don't know if he had ulterior motives or something but there is kind of this narrative that i found when i was doing research for this case it kind of has two very different sides like there is the very business side of him that is tough he's like suing his own family members and he's like getting a thrill out of it anything to make a profit and very ruthless but then there's another side uh that talks about barry and honey being very philanthropic you know they give hundreds of millions of dollars over the years to different charitable causes so there was that side of them to 
to them as well. So I guess it depends on who you interview or who you listen to. Um, you'll probably get a different perspective. But when they interview Carrie Winter for the Fifth Estate episode, he's very much on the side of like Barry was ruthless and cutthroat. And I mean, obviously, you can understand where he'd be coming from when you understand that Barry robbed him and his brothers of all of this money. But I don't know. It's the episode doesn't really make Carrie Winter look very good. Like he actually does say at one point um, that many years ago, Barry had actually approached Carrie and asked him if he knew someone or could hire someone to kill honey for him, um, which is like a shocking revelation that came out in the fifth estate episode and obviously made Carrie winter an interesting suspect in all of this. Uh, Cause he's talking about that Barry wanted to kill honey many years ago. He eventually backed out of it and it didn't obviously didn't happen, but he said that he was kind of in the process of getting it set up when it all fell through. But maybe this is something that bolstered the murder suicide theory they thought oh well maybe if if he was willing to do that many years ago and go to this cousin and have him help him out like what's to say that he wouldn't try to kill her you know now so that might have been something that kind of went into their murder suicide theory i don't really know but obviously this is a huge revelation and carrie was a potential suspect at first of course with the court case that happened that had just been dismissed right before the murders obviously doesn't look good as well and he talks a little bit about his alibi at the, in the fifth estate episode. And he says that, you know, that day he was working at a job site, you know, at the end of the day, he went home. He just, you know, watched Netflix at home, fell asleep on the couch, something like that. But he said he lives alone. So there's no one who can actually verify that there was an alibi for that night. Uh, they actually do give him a polygraph in the episode. So he takes it and he actually fails the polygraph when they ask him questions about if he had anything to do with Barry and Honey's murder. And they go over the results of the polygraph with him like in the episode. And you can see when they they tell him that he failed. So it's not a good look for him. I mean, I don't know. I think polygraphs are a terrible idea, whether you're innocent or guilty. Like, <laughs> you know, they're not admissible in court because they're not accurate. So I feel like you should just never take one ever. I know I hate polygraphs. It's like, okay, let's take one, but we're not going to be able to do anything with it. Like, you're not going to be able to use it in court, and, like, we can't really use it against you, but let's just do it anyway. Like, it's a waste of time, I feel. If you're, like, super nervous, then you're going to fail anyway, and they're going to use it against you, and, like, I don't know. So, like, yeah, like you said, like, just never take one. It doesn't help anybody, I feel, really, ever. You can fake them, too, right? So, like, it's like, you can be totally guilty and fake it, and then just excuse the evidence. And, like, I can understand, I think, and... Um, like polygraphs could be useful for like a manipulation tactic if like they're trying to catch someone who they know is a suspect in a lie and trying to like use that as a way I always think of like the Chris Watts case um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that but in that one they do a polygraph with him and then they go over the polygraph results with him right after and they're basically trying to tell him like we know you're lying like just come clean we know that this isn't the truth so i could see like in that way maybe to get a confession out of someone to like make them feel nervous or something if they do get told that they failed it or whatever so i do understand that perspective of it but i still feel like as the person taking the polygraph you should never ever agree to take one it just never ends well yeah like that's a good point and maybe if someone like doesn't really know the law and think that you know this could be a way to get out of something maybe they would do it that way but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the fifth estate does say, like, after all of this stuff with Carrie, they say that he isn't being considered a suspect at this time. Now, again, that was back in 2018. So who knows sort of what's changed. But if you watch that episode, it does not look good for Carrie. It's kind of, I think, like making him look bad. I feel like you kind of leave that episode having lots of suspicions about Carrie. And like the fact that he's saying, yeah, well, that Barry had asked me to hire someone to kill Honey, like, which is very weird thing but then he starts kind of backtracking once they say like oh is it possible that you are you know mistaking this information it's not actually true because it came back on the polygraph that he wasn't telling the truth about that and then he sort of gets confused and he's like well maybe i did make it up or maybe i did didn't really happen that way or something so they even make him him question his own statements which is weird so i don't know if you can believe that that actually happened because i find it very weird that barry would go to like this random cousin who he's screwed over he doesn't really have the best relationship why would he go to him to like help him kill his wife if that's what he wanted like it seems like a very high risk to take to go to this person that you don't have the best relationship with yeah like i was just i was just gonna actually comment on that i was like i don't feel like if he was gonna go to anybody he'd go to like he'd pay someone higher up that he knows that actually like, professional to actually do it. Like, I don't think he would just go to his random cousin who, who had like, his life is not really on track and you can't really trust him. So it seems like an odd thing for him to say that Barry 
asked him to do that. And I, I just found that really weird to me. Like he has all this kind of all this money. You think you just pay somebody to do it professionally, not some random. Well, he probably was going to pay. Well, he Carrie implies that Barry was like, I know that, you know, someone or you can get someone to do it. So he wasn't actually asking Carrie to do it himself, but he was asking Carrie to like hire someone professionally, oh, or get okay. someone to do it for him. So, but it's still weird to go to your cousin that you don't have a good relationship mm-hmm. with and be like, find me someone to kill. Like, couldn't Barry find someone himself? If he- yeah. Did he go to him after he already screwed him out of all this money or before? Um, well, I, I get, I'm pretty sure it was like many years ago. It was like that nineties or the eighties or something like that. So it was after he had screwed him out of all the money, but before Carrie knew about it. Cause they didn't find out till much later that that had actually happened. Oh, okay. So I was going to say like, yeah, why would he do that? Especially if like Carrie has this vendetta against him, but he didn't know that at the time. But I'm also thinking like, because Barry is like this big pharmaceutical guy and like, is obviously super smart. Like why couldn't he just make up this concoction of drugs, like sleeping pills or painkillers or something and tell his wife it was like, you know, just a generic drug. And but it was actually like some lethal concoction and just like, you know, knock her out. And then it looks like she died from natural causes. Like you'd think that'd be something he could do or get somebody to do for him. Or yeah, or just like pay a profi- professional that would just get in, get out, get it done. Yeah, like this is a guy who has all the money, all the resources at his fingertips to get this sort of thing done if he really wanted it done. So for him to go to his cousin, like randomly, just seems kind of weird. And I don't so I don't really know if I believe Harry and I don't know maybe he was just trying to like he's saying that now after the murders to kind of make Barry look bad and like you know smear his name after he's dead as like a way to get final payback or something like that is something that could be possible Um, because obviously this interview where he's saying all this stuff was after the murders had happened so it could be like his final way of getting revenge if he really wanted to do that I don't know but like I said he kind of ends up backtracking a little bit in the episode after they confront him with the polygraph so oh yeah maybe he's trying to like take the heat off of somebody else that he knows that did it but he, and he's saying like oh you know Barry definitely could have hired someone because he asked me to do it before allegedly like not saying this guy did anything but that's just a theory yeah like I think it's almost impossible to watch that episode and not think that Carrie is involved in some way it just looks very bad for him so there's a lot of questions surrounding all of that so kind of take that with a grain of salt all of his allegations about Barry wanting to kill Honey and stuff like we don't really know if that's true and we don't we might never know if that was ever true but that's a little bit of the family history and all of this stuff kind of gives you a better idea of what uh barry's life was like his early life and kind of how he ended up becoming who he was um but what do you guys think of like that dual narrative like of being very very cutthroat on one side but then also being very philanthropic i mean i mean you both things can be can exist right like you can be both things but i just find it interesting that there's two very different narratives depending on who you believe yeah it almost seems like you think about it like barry obviously had like a really um like a really great work work ethic like he were obviously worked really hard you don't become a billionaire by not well back then anyway you didn't have to you had to work really hard to be a billionaire nowadays you just like fucking flash the right person and you (laughs) get rich but um but i mean back then like you really had to work hard so he was like probably really valued a work ethic and maybe he saw that his cousins you know, really didn't earn that money, so that they really didn't deserve it. So that maybe that's kind of where his head was at. And then also because he had all this money, like him giving money to people looked good on him, right? It was like he earned this money, he could give it to people that he thought maybe he really did like think that people deserved it, like the charities and stuff. I don't know. I don't I don't think it makes him a bad guy to really value that kind of work ethic though, so it, it really is hard to kind of decipher where he really is. I was just thinking, like, maybe he had to put on, like, a facade for the business aspect. Like, he has to be, like, really cutthroat and very, like, very, like, hard-looking. Because he had, like, all this money and, like, all these people looked up to him. And so he had to be that type of... I don't say role model, but he had to be the type of, like... Like, hey, the work, good work ethic. But then he had to put that aside and then come home to his family... And have like the nicer, like generous and kinder side to him. So it's kind of like playing like two personalities type thing, but one for work and one for home type thing. Yeah, it's like he really valued money, right? So it was like if you worked hard and deserved it, then you should get it. If you didn't, then you shouldn't. And if you're like a 
you know, like a cause that he believed in, then you deserve it as well. So I feel like that he really, money was really his driving factor in life. Yeah. And I mean, it worked for him. Like Forbes says that they were the 12th wealthiest couple in Canada, uh, which is pretty crazy. Some publications say that they were the 15th or some say they were 18th. So maybe it depends on when it was published. But yes, Forbes said they were the 12th richest. So they have a shit ton of money, basically, um, this is the bottom line. But I think the whole point of going into like the backstory and everything kind of shows you that there are many people who would have a potential motive to kill Barry and his wife. Like, just think of all those pharmaceutical executives who are so pissed. This guy comes in and takes away half their profit, making things really competitive, taking them to court, like suing them at every turn. Like, he's going to be, he's like a thorn in the side of these people. So it's not, you know, out of the realm of possibility that they're just, you know, they're coming up with this plan to get him out of the way because he's just, being a pain to them and these are all people who are all very wealthy very you know have lots of resources where they can like make stuff like this happen so um and even his own family like his cousins or even his son that he had you know said had to back or pay him back all this money which is pretty crazy but there's a quote from his son jonathan sherman he actually told police um in an interview that his parents were very complicated people and that there are people out there who would have a grudge against them and would have a reason to hurt them so that there are actually some informa- um, information to obtain warrants that had come out recently, actually, in 2019, 2020, um, that revealed that information and revealed some of the information about interviews that they did with some people. So they did interview Jonathan, and he did say that. He basically said, like, yeah, there are lots of people out there who could have had a motive for this. So the list of suspects is endless, and which makes it really frustrating. Um, I don't know, but in some cases you look at there's no suspects and it's very frustrating, but this one's the other side. It's like so frustrating because there are a million suspects and like, how do you narrow it down? Yes. Yeah, so actually, uh, there, so Kevin Donovan, he's actually one of the main investigative journalists for the Toronto Star. So he does a lot of reporting on this case. He actually wrote a book called The Billionaire Murders. It's the mysterious deaths of Barry and Honey Sherman. So it's a really good book. If you, I recommend you check that out. There's a lot of information about Barry and Honey's background and their upbringing and everything like that. So if you want some more information about that, I definitely recommend you check out that book. But he also has done some investigative pieces about the investigation. And he actually goes into a lot about the family succession battle. So there's actually a video on YouTube. So we'll put it in the show notes, but a link to the video. But he talks about the infighting within the family of the fortune because obviously there's the question of where's the money going to go and who's going to get control over the estate and everything like that. Um, so there was a huge succession battle happening, mostly among the four kids. So they had uh, one son and three daughters. They had Jonathan and then three daughters, Lauren, Alexandra, and Kaylin. So there's actually pretty interesting. So the couple's house and the land was actually transferred to the estate and the children in August of 2018. So that was about eight months after the murders. And then two days after it was released to them, it was later, it was sold. Uh, the house had since been demolished. The kids said that it had just bad memories. They didn't really want to be reminded of it every day. So after the investigation was over, they had taken all the evidence from the crime scene. The house was demolished. And Kevin Donovan says that one of the sisters had actually thought that Jonathan might have been involved in the murders of their parents, um, which obviously put a rift between the two of them. Uh, So it's not like for really close, happy siblings or anything after their parents die. There's a lot of fighting over money and everything like that. So there was also a lot of fighting because Jonathan wanted to do some like frivolous things with some of the money. He actually had approached... um, I believe it was Alexandra. She He approached her and he wanted to take some of the charity money and build a premium ice rink. He said he needed like $50 million to do that. And obviously, and then Alexandra, she was a nurse. She was very, you know, empathetic. She wanted some of the money to go to, you know, fund homeless shelters in the city or education programs and stuff like that. So she wanted to put it towards actual useful things. And he wants to go build a premium ice rink. So... And she had actually apparently questioned him about his involvement in the murders. So, and he, I mean, he's he's kind of gone on the record and said some not super flattering things about his parents. So, I don't know. It's kind of weird. But, and then if you look into the fact that he owed his dad all of this money and stuff like that. So, there are a few things that kind of make you look at, at him a little bit. But obviously, nothing's been confirmed or anything like that. Yeah. Did you guys have any, like, less comments about, like, the family or, like, the family history or anything? Or Well, it seems like... In? It seems to make sense that maybe somebody was in the will and then they got wind that they were going to rewrite their will, like re like write them out of the will. So they had to kind of like take action before that happened. Cause I mean, when someone has that much money and you're going to get that much money, you want to make sure you get it 
regardless. So, I mean, that makes sense that something like that could have happened. But I mean, who knows? Like, I feel like in a lot of cases, right, it's follow the money, like where the money is going, like look at the will and all that stuff. I feel like that's in a lot of cases you see it's like somebody killed somebody for their life insurance money or to get like part of the will or whatever. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that that could have happened. But yeah. yeah, And you also see cases where it's like somebody owes you a ton of money and even killing them is not going to get you that money, but it just will make you feel better because you Mm -hmm. got them back. So that, that could be that kind of thing too. Yeah. And like I said, it's so many frustrating things about this case because there's literally so many possibilities, so many people that would have a motive. Like, Just think of all the people he's taken to court over the years. Like all it would take is one of those people to just be like, no, this is, I've had enough of this guy, you know? So lots and lots of potential suspects, but I do have a timeline of the like events from when they were last seen to when the bodies were found. And I think it's really interesting. It might give some more, um, might lead us to more theories of what we think could have happened. So they, like I said, their bodies were found on December 15th, the morning of December 15th, but the police theory was that they were actually killed about 36 hours prior on the night of December 13th. Now, December 13th was the last night that they were both seen alive. So around 5 p.m., there was a meeting at Apotex headquarters, and both Barry and Honey were in attendance for that meeting. They were actually meeting with a home builder, a subcontractor, and an architect, and they were going to be discussing the building of the couple's new home Uh, because remember i said that they were in the process of building a home at forest hill neighborhood so they were meeting with these contractors to discuss the building of that this is according to the cbc so the cbc also suggests that these three people that they had a meeting with may have been the last three people to see the couple alive except for the person who killed them so the meeting went until about 5.30 p.m. And then Honey left and drove home. So they actually went to Google Maps and mapped this out. So their home at 50 Old Colony Road was about 15 to 20 minute drive from Apotex headquarters. So if Honey leaves at 5.30 p.m., she's home, you know, roughly around 6, taking into consideration traffic and everything like that. Uh, cell phone records show that at 6.21 p.m., Honey made a five-minute phone call from her cell phone to a friend, which appears to be the last time that anyone ever heard from her. So we know that, you know, she got home at 6. She's making this call at 6.21. So there is a 20-minute period before, you know, at least before anything happens. And she's on the phone for five minutes. It's a very normal conversation. There's nothing alarming about the conversation, uh, which is what the friend says. And then around 8 p.m. or so, like, Barry leaves Apotex and heads home. So I couldn't kind of find an exact time for that. It just said that he... Honey left at 5.30 and then he stayed a couple extra hours to finish up some work. So say he left at 7.30, 8 or whatever and heads home. Would have been 15 to 20 minute drive for him as well. And then that's the last thing that they know for sure on December 13th. And on December 14th, cell phone records also show that there were at least 10 phone calls to Honey that went unanswered during the day and into the morning of the 15th when their bodies were found. So obviously she's not answering their calls this might be a reason why they also believe she was killed the night of the 13th she's not answering any phone calls or making any contact with anyone on the 14th and december 14th was also the same day that i mentioned that there was that neighbor's surveillance video that showed that car that was parked in the driveway there was a person sitting in it in the car for 15 minutes going in and out of the house several times so that was also on the 14th and then on december 14th so we do know a little bit of information about like the early morning hours of that day so at around 8 25 a.m the family's housekeeper arrived at the home and she waited at she claims that she waited at a side door for a little bit to let in a personal trainer who was also scheduled to come uh, she would come in every friday to work out with the shermans so the housekeeper was going to be letting the trainer into the home so the housekeeper says that normally the couple would greet them as they were to come in the house but there was no sign of them at all the newspaper was still like at the front door which is very odd normally barry would be reading the newspaper when they would go in to see them in the morning so they thought that was a little bit weird and they also noticed when they entered the house that the the alarm system was off. And they said this was very odd because they had both worked for the Shermans for about three years. And they said this was the first time in the three years that the alarm system was off when they would enter the home. So that also was a little bit suspicious to them. Um, so the housekeeper says that she went upstairs to check if maybe they were still sleeping. They had slept in or something like that. The bed was made, but it was a little bit untidy. And the sink that Honey would normally use was dry. So she knew that she hadn't been using it at all that morning. She says it was a little bit odd for the bed to be made because Honey usually left it unmade when she knew the housekeeper would be coming on the Friday morning. So the fact that it was already made was a little bit weird to her. We also know that the furnace cleaner or maintenance person had arrived at the house shortly after this. We don't really know anything about 
you know, the exact time or anything like that, but he was there at some point. Uh, then it was after this that Elise Stern, which was the realtor, arrived to give the tour to prospective buyers. Uh, the tour began at around 11 a.m. She arrived on site at 10.50 a.m., allegedly. And then the bodies were discovered and the police were called at 11.44 a.m. So that's kind of the timeline of events. Um, so there actually is a video as well from the Toronto Star, again by Kevin Donovan. So he actually walks you through what the working theory is or the likely scenario of what had happened. And there's like a layout of the house that they show and some graphics. So it's really, really interesting for the video. We'll put that in the show notes as well. But the working theory by the Toronto Star is that Honey and Barry were likely killed the night that they returned home from Apotex on the 13th. So the theory is, is that Honey was confronted by the assailant at some point. Obviously, it would have been after that phone call that she made at 621. So if it was shortly after that, we don't know. But she was probably confronted by the assailant or assailants and at some point may have ran to that powder room to try and escape and or call the police. This is why her phone would have been found on the vanity in this room on December 15th. Also, they do speculate that the bruising that was on Honey's face uh, may have been as a result of her being dragged from the main floor of the house down to the down the stairs of the basement and into the pool room. Family and friends say that Honey would never went to the basement like on her own. She had bad knees, so she would never go down the stairs into the basement. And the police had surmised that the bruising that was on her face was done right before or right after she had been killed. I guess they could tell, or the medical examiner could just tell just based on the condition of the bruising and stuff like that, like when it had probably happened. So that would be consistent with that theory. If she was, you know, dragged down the stairs right after she was killed, would it cause that bruising? Also, they say that similarly, they think that Barry was attacked as soon as he arrived home. And this would explain why his papers and his gloves were just dropped just inside that door uh, where Elise Stern eventually found them on the 15th. Uh, So if he was just attacked as soon as he entered the the door, it would make sense that he would just drop all that stuff right there. Uh, Because he did come in from the underground garage because he would always park his car in the underground garage. So it would make sense that that door, that the paper in the gloves was found, was right the door that led to the underground garage. And then it's possible, and then the assailant then attacked him and dragged him into the pool room as well and then set up the bodies to match the the position of the statues so that's kind of the working theory that they have and they don't really know after barry left at around 738 from apotex they don't know the exact timeline but obviously it would have probably happened in the hours directly after that but then there was a whole 36 hours before the bodies were found so what do you guys think of that i just find it odd that the housekeeper and like the personal trainer saw these suspicious things and did nothing about it. Like, if they were there, like, they worked there for, like, what, you said three years, was it, that they've worked for them? And they noticed things, like, you would notice things that were off-putting if you, especially the alarm. Like, I don't know, I just find it odd that nobody, they weren't suspicious enough to, like, report it to anybody. Yeah, and it's not just, like, one little thing that maybe they could have forgot, but it was, like, multiple little things that seemed weird, right? So, But I don't think, like, your mind doesn't really jump to someone being murdered right away. Obviously, it's in retrospect when you know that they've been murdered. It's like, oh, yeah, that's really sketchy. But at the time, you're not thinking, like, oh, man, they must be dead in the pool room. Like, no, I'm not saying, I'm, like, I'm not saying, like, they they would have known that he, she was, they were dead. I'm just saying, like, they would have thought something was off. Especially if, yeah. like, they're not, if they're not there and the, if they were going on vacation early enough, they would have called them to yeah. not show up. Yeah, because it was, it was, um, I also had read in the research that they were supposed to be going to Florida like shortly after the honey was going to be leaving a few days earlier than Barry and then Barry was going to follow. So their initial thought was like, oh, they must have just left for Florida earlier than expected. But, they but yeah, like you said, them. they would have called like, like maybe not if, the housekeeper, maybe the housekeeper was there to clean up, but they would call the personal trainer because what the hell is he going to do if they're not there? Oh, she like what? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, she doesn't need to be there if they're not there. Well, yeah. And like their first thought might not be, oh, they're murdered somewhere, but like this is like an elderly couple, right? Like something could have happened to both or one of them and like they need help somewhere. Like you think they would have like dug a little bit deeper than, oh, you know, maybe they went on vacation and just like bailed and didn't tell anybody. But yeah, like they were obviously suspicious, but they didn't really do anything about it. Um, And then it was obviously the realtor that ended up finding the bodies and she was the one who did something about it eventually. But um, to me, it has professional hit written all over it because like, how could you leave no, no like, evidence behind like no sign of a struggle like it seems like it was someone who's very deliberate knew exactly how they were going to do it and how to clean up after the fact the fact that it was 36 
hours after, right? It was 36 hours when they were found, right? Well, according to the theory, if, if they were killed on the 13th, then it would have been so 30, about 36 hours later they were found. Seems like an awful long time for some, a bo- bodies just to be laying there. And like it maybe has to go back to that car coming in and out of the house on December 14th. Like, I feel like if it was a professional, if someone was professional, they wouldn't be going back and checking up on the body and stuff like that. I just feel like, like you said, it has to be somebody professional because they didn't leave anything behind, not even footprints in the like, like yeah like i don't know like yeah like i don't know who that person is on the 14th who's going in and out of the house like it could just be a realtor you know they had some realtors working for them because their house was not for sale so that is possible but if it was a realtor though like and there was that was a release that like oh this person's going into the house multiple times if you were the realtor wouldn't you say like oh that was me like nothing to worry about like if it was you so the fact that nobody came forward and said who it was that it was them like why would you not come forward with that unless you yeah. had something to hide? Yeah, I feel like that person is key, right? Because like they're they don't want to come forward. Nobody knows who they nobody knows who they are, right? So it's like they have to they're keeping this secret for a reason, right? So like it has but, to be like. But I also can't imagine. I also can't imagine that like if this person is a professional, they're not going to like come back the next day in broad daylight and go in out of the house multiple times. Like that's way too big of a risk to take. If like and especially if they're going to go in there and kill them on that night, like. They had all night to do it where there would be no, no, no one's, nothing suspicious if they're doing it in the middle of the night. Like, why would you then come back the next day in the middle of the day? Like, just to me, that seems very lazy or not. Like, if you're hired as a professional hitman, that's not something that you're going to do. Like, I think it also goes back to, like, the way they're positioned, too. Like, it had to be somebody who knew them or knew the house or the layout of the house or those mannequins. Because I feel like you wouldn't just go in the house and look, look over your shoulder for five seconds and be like, oh... I'm going to position these people just like the mannequins. Like, they'd have to know that those mannequins were there and how they were positioned before they even went into the house. Yeah, or if they just saw them randomly, like, have time to, like, oh, I'm going to set them up like this. Like, if it was somebody that, like, wasn't experienced and was, like, in a hurry to get the fuck out of there, like, they're not going to sit there and, like, position the people in, like, a specific position, right? So I feel like if it was someone that was not prepared, it would have just been, like, super messy, super, you know, not detailed like this and they would have been in and out really fast and there it would have been like a just like a shit show it would have been just like a mess right so yeah it definitely does say professional hit all over me all over it and like it feels like they wouldn't like a professional person wouldn't come back like that because that's like super brazen to like in broad day like come back to the house but like i mean it's super brazen to go into someone's house and kill two people and think you can get away with it i mean it's a kind of person that would do that that probably would feel comfortable going back the next day and like cleaning up some other random shit so i mean it definitely is possible i feel yeah and it is possible like i feel like anything in this, in this case anything is possible it's so crazy but also family and friends did say that barry and honey were the couple they did leave doors unlocked a lot of the time like there was frequently going to be a couple of doors that were locked so is this someone that knew that they kept doors unlocked because there's no sign of fourth entry so obviously the person had to come in through an unlocked door through that window that was slightly ajar like there's no forced entry there was also you know reportedly there had been a series of robberies like shortly before the murders where people were getting their houses broken into and Barry and Honey's house was broken into shortly before that. Someone had come in through the skylight. Um, they had like put the rope down and they like went down into like the bedroom or the bathroom and they were trying to steal Honey's jewelry. Um, something from like a heist movie or something. Um, but I don't know like if if there was like a latch that you can open to come in through the skylight or something but otherwise you'd have to like break open the skylight which would be forced entry. So, and also it just seems like it'd be easier to just walk in through a door if it's unlocked. Like, why go through the effort of going through the skylight? But uh, is this someone who knew that they left doors unlocked? Someone who knew that they were, what their schedule was like. They weren't going to be home at this time so they could go in and, like, meet them when they would come home. Yeah, I was just going to, I was just going to say that. I was going to say, like, it had to be somebody who knew their schedule, knew when they are going to be home. Knew the, like, en- like exit and entrance points of the house. Like, knew where the pool room was. Like, it had to be somebody who knew the house and knew them and knew their schedule. Because it just, I feel like if it was somebody random, it would just, yeah, like Katie said, it would be the too messy of a crime scene. But this one was, like, perfect and pristine. Like, it just, no, it doesn't really make sense to me. It seems weird. Like, yeah, if it was, like, some random person that was, like, killing people, like, it makes sense that, well, I mean, makes sense to them, probably, that they would do this elaborate, like, scene. But if it was, like, somebody that they knew, and it, that they did it themselves or somebody that they knew and hired someone to do it. Like, why make it look so obvious that somebody 
had planned it and did it like why not make it look like an accident right like you think like if you try to get away with it that'd be the easiest thing to do i mean this is an old couple anything could have happened to them make it look like they fell down the stairs or like i don't know drowned in the pool got in a car accident or something like why not make it like that instead of like super staged and like obvious like that just seems super strange to me it stands out like it just seems like it was like some weird sick game it's like they just wanted to like put them in this like put them in those poses and like to match the statue like the only reason for that is to like to just have fun with it after the fact and like rub it in and well yeah it's like showing off it's like look what i did right yeah it's, it's, it's like it's kind of like humil- humiliating them after they're, they're like yeah. gone like like haha like you can't you can't get me or whatever like this is uh people are gonna see you like this it's like a mocking thing like yeah. kind of to the police like catch me if you can like I'm, you know I, to me anyway and it's like yeah a random person who's just breaking into the house who's like gonna get the fuck out of there right away is not gonna take the time to do that if it was a professional hitman like that still doesn't even if they know the exact person who did it like that doesn't really solve it anything like they still someone would have had to hire that person to do it so like they would still need to uncover like who was the person who set it up who set it into motion so just finding the actual person themselves who physically did it isn't necessarily ending it like you still have to find out like who wanted that to happen because obviously a professional hitman has to be hired by someone yeah and someone obviously if they did that they did a good job of like hiding it right because i mean it's been what like how many years and they still haven't gotten anyone arrested yet for this so someone did a good job if they did hire someone of like covering that up for sure so somebody knew what they were doing all around yeah and it's been like it, it happened in 2017 so it's been over three years now at this point and there was actually some recent like developments that came out there was a, a series of um information to obtain which were like documents that had to be filed in order to get warrants and that was where like i said a little bit before that was where all the interviews that they did with jonathan came out and it was also where they revealed that at one point there had been an international warrant that was given didn't go into any detail about like where in the world or like what the what the scope of that was but like if they were looking into somebody who was overseas like especially 36 hours if they could have killed them that night got on the plane left the country they could be anywhere in the world like before the bodies are even found so i don't know if they're looking somewhere into like if there's an international war like it makes me think oh is are they looking at like an international suspect yeah that's crazy that person could have like originated from overseas and like come just to do that so there wouldn't be like and no one would really know them or recognize them in that area so somebody that's like totally from somewhere come in just do that and then leave again it'd be super hard to trace it's crazy yeah and obviously someone a professional hitman like they're going to be good to covering their tracks but also they're going to know like don't have anything in writing you're not going to have any cell phone records like you're going to use a burner phone like you're going to throw you know they're going to have ways to cover up their tracks they're not just going to be emails kicking around of like yes i'm going to kill them like everything would have been in person face to face nothing recorded like oh yeah and i'm sure they never use a real name like right like you know my name's like jim mcdonald like no like you're gonna have like an alias right like no one's yeah. gonna know who this person is so yeah exactly crazy and like you it's said crazy. obviously it's taking the police this long and i mean obviously and the family has been vocal saying that they didn't think the police did a good job at all but also just some context too um about what was happening in toronto at the time so this happened in december 2017 and then a month later in january of 2018 they had arrested bruce MacArthur, who was like a serial killer who was eventually convicted of killing eight men in toronto so that investigation they had like a big undercover operation sting operation surveillance on him so that was going on and then a couple months after that was the toronto van attack so that was a huge thing and you know those things take a lot of police resources and police time and then a couple months after that there was the danforth shooting where was another mass shooting so this was like all within months of each other so you know there's only so much resources and police officers who can like be devoted to certain cases so this might have been something that sort of fell by the wayside especially if they're going with the murder suicide theory in the first month obviously the bruce macarthur thing is going to take precedence over this murder suicide you know yeah the police was definitely like maxed out like they probably couldn't you know dedicate as many officers as they probably wanted to because they had so much else going on so that makes sense that maybe it's taking them longer or they didn't do everything as well as they could have if they had full resources and those first few like weeks and months are crucial in a case right like those are like right after it happens is when you're gonna most likely find the suspect or whatever so the fact that all that other stuff was happening didn't really bode well for the investigation but also some information that came out was about like the estate and the police one of the um main police officers who was assigned to this case did say that like he couldn't really talk about the estate because i think kevin donovan had tried to you know when he was doing the investigation about all of like the 
the succession battle with the kids and everything, trying to get into information about the estate. He was told that they couldn't really talk about the estate because the estate was very important to the case and very much tied to the investigation. So it makes me think that there was something, someone in the family, something to do with the estate and the battle over that. Uh, Kevin's saying that obviously when one of the sisters had sus- suspected Jonathan of being involved in the in the murders, he said that was completely ridiculous. So obviously there's no evidence at all to suggest that he was involved, or at least no evidence that's been released. But like just some of the quotes, like there's even a quote from him that says, like he described his father as brilliant, but lacking in emotional and social intelligence. And he also described his mother as smart, abrasive, and high energy. Like I find like abrasive is a very weird thing to kind of describe your mother who just had recently been killed. Like it's just not, it's not like, it's not like the most glowing adjective to use. Yeah, it definitely seems like there's some animosity going on there. And like, yeah, the fact that you said that it has something to do with the estate, like it definitely, it points to like a hitman, like, or like a hired killer more and more. Like every, every like point that you make because somebody that had to do with the will or involved with the estate had something to lose or were pissed about something. So they hired someone to do it because it's just so clean that there's no evidence left at all to point to anybody that it was someone that knew what they were doing. And was able to even take their time in there if they needed to, or get out, get in, get out really fast. Just either way, it's definitely, it seems to be a hired hit. When you look at all those like top pharmaceutical people who could have had a motive to do it, like, like I said, these are people who, if they wanted to, they could very easily have the money and hire someone to do this. And there's so many different people that he's screwed over over the years. Like it could be anyone. So it could just be some random, you know, executive at some pharmaceutical company, not even connected to the family or anything. But the fact that the police did say that the estate was somehow tied up into it makes me think that it's not just this random pharmaceutical like that wouldn't have anything to do with the estate necessarily like that's just you know business dealings but when you say estate it makes it seem like family yeah it's definitely some sort of family or like personal thing that happened it's crazy to think i don't know people these people are just like high society like elite like can get away with anything i feel and that's probably their mindset in this yeah, and like obviously, it's crazy, it's, it's crazy the stuff happens in real life. Like hire a hitman to kill somebody and then get away with it. Like, it, yeah, it's, it's like you see it in movies and stuff, and you I don't know. actually think, but like, it kind of makes it look like just based on the scene itself and the positioning of the bodies and all that. Like, it makes it seem like it, that's what it was—professional hit. Like, yeah, it definitely does. Like, I don't know, and obviously the police aren't revealing every all the information they have. They did describe the investigation as still be very active and ongoing, so they said it hasn't gone cold. They're still following leads, and there's a bunch of warrants that have they've gotten a bunch of warrants to like do searches on cell phone records and financial records, health records of Barry and honey. Like they're going deep, deep into this. So they had, um, at one point there was a $10 million reward that was being offered to anyone who knew any information, um, about what had happened. Kevin Donovan actually said that there is a suspect, um, and, but there's no charges or arrests or anything yet, but there is a suspect or a person of interest that they have in mind. So, he thinks that it's like they know probably who did it and they have a good basis for it, but they don't have anything, no hard evidence to really be able to charge him. So that's what's taking so long. It's like, why there's this delay? It's like almost going on four years now. Cause like, if it is like, which makes me think it is a professional hitman. Like there's no emails, there's no nothing like no transaction. Like, you know what I mean? Like no, nothing. Yeah, obviously. Yep. Cause if Somehow you're good at what know. you do, you're not going to like leave any trail. Yeah. There's, there's no like paper trail. There's nothing for them to like, find out like it has to be like a money trail they would have had to pay this person like follow the money like is her but it could have been like money wired but if they like wired money to some international entity somewhere to do this like there has to be a record of that somewhere but obviously these are good people who are good at covering up obviously they know all the tricks of the trade like they're not going to be silly enough to just like do everything out in the open but that's what makes me think like that person who is like on the 14th just going into the house like you're not going to do that like if it's professional, we're saying, oh, yeah, they're good at covering up their tracks, but you're also going to go the next day in broad daylight in and out of the house multiple times. <laughs> like, that doesn't really fit with, like, everything else that seems to... Maybe they just you know. knew, obviously, like, they knew their schedule and um, that nobody was, like, planned to come to the house that day. There's, like, no open houses. Like, the real estate people weren't supposed to be there. Like, nobody else was supposed to be there. So they figured it was easy for them to get in. But why wouldn't they just do it the night before? But yeah that's true. and they, they, they um i think it was the housekeeper in like the article i read um it was 
from the Toronto Star, I believe, uh, that described like all of the timeline on the morning of. And they said the housekeeper said that there's never anyone scheduled on the Thursday. Like Thursdays was never a day that they had anyone scheduled to be at the house. So if it was someone who knew that was like, oh, no one's going to be here. But they must have known like there's surveillance cameras in the area, maybe. Like it just seems very. But also it's like if this person had surveillance video of the 14th, where's the surveillance video of the 13th? I want to see the surveillance video of that night. Like. How do they have that, but not the 13th? Yeah. Like, yeah, that like, would show you, like, if someone's pulling up into the driveway, like, or just walking into the house, like. Maybe they do have it, and they just haven't said anything about it. Maybe. Because, they yeah, they're obviously more. not revealing all the evidence, like. Yeah. Because if there's, it's still an active investigation, so they're not going to say everything they have. Yeah. It's just weird that they're like, oh, we don't know who this person is. But, like, if they already know who the other person was the day before, then why would it matter kind of thing, right? Like, they must be, I don't know. It's just weird. But apparently they have a suspect in mind, but there's no no details about who that suspect is. Do you guys have, like, any, if you had to think of, like, one person that you could, like, think it might be, do you even know? Do you have, like, a theory in your mind? Everything's allegedly, of course. I would think it would be, like, one of his cousins who got gypped of all that money. Allegedly. So you think they sure. were you think they were just like pissed that they that yeah. case was dismissed and they just wanted to get back yeah. at him. Yeah. But that's the thing, it's like there's so many possible theories and scenarios and suspects. I don't even know if I have like a person in mind. I don't it's hard to think like if the son allegedly but like just the way he's describing his parents is kind of weird and obviously his sister was kind of suspicious at one point, but I can't confirm any of this. It's alleged. But I don't know. Maybe they should like maybe look into him a little bit more. Or maybe they are, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I can't pick out one person that I feel like stands out stronger than anybody else. So I can't pick somebody. It's it could be anyone. I feel it's just what makes it so interesting. Like there's so many people. If, but depending on who you believe, he had made a lot of enemies over the years with his business practices. So it could be anything. But also, why'd they have to kill Honey too? Like if they really wanted to get him, but she probably she saw kind of, who it was. Yeah, she was just there. So yeah. Yeah, but it would be someone who knew their schedule, like knew that they weren't going to be home. Like that's the thing. I feel like a random person who's just like a competitor of his isn't going to know. I all know, that. or they just got lucky, right? Like they just happened to get there yeah. at the right time. That could have happened as well. That's true, but also like I said too, like that person could have hired someone to do surveillance. Yeah, know? and yeah. be like, just get their schedule for like you know. Yeah, watch, I feel like if you're going to plan this, yeah, you're definitely going to like get like do a stakeout and figure out their schedule and make sure you're not going to get interrupted. Obviously, like I said, it's still ongoing, so there's going to be updates, I'm sure. I hope it's somewhat soon. We're going on four years now, so I really hope we do get something. But we won't really know anything for sure until the charges happen. And we it'll be so interesting, though, once they, like, arrest someone and charge, like, to hear, like, the details about, like, what actually happened. Like, I know. know. I can't wait for them to release the details and, like, see who they think did it and the Mm -hmm. court and to see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be, like, a huge, like, it's going to be, like... Like the case is going to be like you know, a trial and everything if they if they yeah. hopefully gets to that if they find the right person but it'll be crazy this is definitely going to be a movie too in the future like mm-hmm. i think oh, this is going to be a movie yeah. or a documentary or like a something oh yeah i feel like it will be for sure surprised yeah. it hasn't been already but <laughs> yeah but i guess you can't really do that until you know who did it That's Unless, true. it's just going to be speculative right like if yeah since they know the there's like yeah, but since they know they're working on a case, it's not like it's a cold case, right? They know something's coming, so they're going to wait probably till the end. Yeah. So they can actually conclude it. Yeah. So, and we will also update you as well, because we want to know, and I'm sure you do too. All right. So, very interesting case. So, thank you for listening. As always, you can find us on all the social medias. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Family Podcast. Facebook, Crime Family Podcast. Instagram, you can find us at Crime Family Pod 1. And we do have an email so you can send us your suggestions your feedback if you have a case suggestion you want us to do in the future just send us an email at crimefamilypodcast at gmail.com thank you so much for the 1000 downloads we appreciate that thank you for your feedback we'll make sure to always drink lots of water we gotta stay hydrated <laughs> I hope my mouth wasn't too dry for you Jamie so um, <laughs> you always can learn and can always do better so <laughs> thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time